and the moon and the planets are there, and new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. We are in space. We are in space. We are in space with my first guest and a dear friend of mine and someone who, when I started this podcast, was my first guest I had in mind. He's a doctor from Yale. He's a drummer in Tally Hall, one of my favorite bands, and quite possibly one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my entire life. Ross Fetterman, welcome to We Are In Space. Happy New Year, Thank brother. Thank you. Thanks. Happy New Year to you as well. I, I immediately just need to throw in the asterisk there. As most people would assume by doctor, you mean medical doctor, which I which I am not. <laughs> um, but yes, sci- science, scientist and uh, and drummer, former, former drummer, so, well, somewhat current drummer. Stigma. Why, is there a stigma with scientists that are doctors being called doctors? Because you're just as much a doctor. As no, them. it's. I mean, who yeah, no, no, pay? and 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 all. You know, I I think it's for me. It's just you know when somebody says, if somebody were to say, "Is there a doctor in the room?" I certainly wouldn't raise my hand. I would raise your. But hand then I wouldn't you. know the first thing to do for the main purpose that somebody would have been asking is nobody ever asks, "Is there a doctor in the room?" Because they have a, a burning. Um, uh, you know, academic question of some type or <laughs> something they're very curious about or, you know, some specific. Is there a PhD in the room? Yeah, I, just, I think that's that's where you go, you know, if you really if you really wanted wanted that kind of doctor, you go. But anyway, we oh. don't need to get caught up on it, but uh, I, I, I do appreciate being here. Um, well, tell me, you went to Yale and you studied immunology. I'm correct. I'm pronouncing that correctly, I hope, which you got your doctorate. And what are you doing now with your degree? I am currently a scientist at a small, uh, small but growing um, uh, startup, I guess you could say, um, science uh, company in, in um, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And are you studying viruses or what do you yeah well as i moved from academia to uh industry it's it's a little less studying i mean we we obviously learn a lot as we go but um it's more of pioneering in a way um we we are we are well i should i should mention the name of the company is called generate um biomedicines uh g-e-n-e-r-a-t-e just like generating um generate biomedicines we have a website um generatebiomedicines.com uh, and so there's plenty of information there that'll that'll get in a little more detail as well as some some sort of select um, press bits here and there if you're curious. But essentially, we're we're really working to pioneer what what what's been termed of generative biology, which is the idea of using um, sort of machine learning, structural biology, essentially a lot of computational uh, biology tools that have. You know, various people have developed all sorts of ways in which you can use computers and programs and models and things to to better understand science. And we're essentially trying to take that approach and leverage that into being able to just make better and faster um, treatments for for any number of diseases or any number of modalities. Um, Specifically, something that's known as a biologic, which is basically a protein-based therapeutic as opposed to a small molecule-based therapeutic. So um, small molecules were kind of the drugs that we've had for decades and decades and decades. Um, eventually, sort of people learned that, well, you could actually use proteins to, to 
um, serve a number of purposes. The, probably the first, I would say, big one was insulin, which is literally just taking insulin, which is a protein, and making it in bottles and, and providing that for people with diabetes. Um, so we, we really work on advanced ways of, of basically trying to build tools and, and whole sort of paradigms to, to be able to create these, these types of protein-based therapeutics or biologics uh, at a much faster clip and uh, with better accuracy and just, just doing it better in general. Like I said, there's plenty of information on our, on our site, so I encourage anyone interested to check it out. It seems like the last year the science world has wanted everything to move a lot faster with you know, vaccines and medicines for treatment. Have you seen that in your side with you know, everybody wanting to speed up the pace of everything? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> for a lot of startups and industry, you, you know, you're, you know, most companies, certainly in my, the, the age and size of my company, we don't yet have a product that we're selling, you know, um, our product is, is, you know, how much we're advancing and, and being able to, you know, get interested parties on board that, that would want to continue to fund this and help us get to the point where we could potentially have a, have a profitable, you know, product to put on the market. Uh, it's a very high bar to develop a new drug. So for a fresh startup, biotech, or any kind of pharma industry company to get to that point, it's a, it's a very long, long and winding road. Um, and you're really up against, you know, these giant, giant pharma companies that have been around forever that already have a lot of things in place to do some of this stuff. So, you know, you basically have an idea that you think is better than the current status quo and and you, you kind of have to prove that first and, and it's it's tough to just quickly jump to making a product to to prove it you have to sort of like prove it through other ways so that's that's really what we're working on at this stage of the company um if that makes sense and and you know it, no it makes yeah sense. and i don't want to be disparaging too about large you know there you know you, there are plenty of places where you can be absolutely critical of huge pharma companies uh but they also do a lot of things right they have a lot of very very talented people at them um you know F pfizer is a giant drug company um and you know they 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 were able to leverage a huge team and a lot of expertise and 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 make a coronavirus that appears to be incredibly effective and uh, record record speed and time. Um, you've also got another company, Moderna, who's what uh, was a startup like you know, similar to the company I'm at now about ten years ago, um, and they still didn't have a ton of products on. They they didn't really have anything on the market like Pfizer, but you know they they had been sort of on this push to really develop a new platform, and and, and that that platform was a big part of being able to create these. Um, uh, these coronavirus vaccines at the the pace at which we did. I mean, it is it's it's really incredible. I should just take a second to point out that you know within one calendar year, really, you know, we 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 found out about you know maybe there were some rumorings of this happening earlier at the end of 2019, but the sequence of this new virus wasn't wasn't really you know we didn't have it until sometime at least into 2020 and. By the end of the year, like before the end of 2020, I mean, we had we had vaccines approved um, and, and going out there and, and getting into arms, which is, is really incredible. I mean, if you look back at the history of vaccination, you know, this used to be years and years and years of turmoil and waiting throughout summers of polio ebbing and flowing. And, and you know, and, and, you know, if you look back to 1918 with influenza, we we didn't even really know what influenza was or what a, we hardly even knew what a virus was for that matter. And so the thought then of trying to be able to turn around and create a vaccine was completely unheard of. So we should, we should be very grateful for, 
what the tech where where technology has gotten us it's 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 um you know the, it's not a lack of uh medical technology and research advances that have that have made the pandemic as bad as it is in in my opinion but um I mean, in the great scheme of things, we're probably pretty lucky for how bad it would have gotten if we weren't didn't have the right scientists in place to make the vaccine. Well, hopefully that will keep things from getting. Hor- well, it's actually it's tough to say. I mean, uh, things have gotten so bad. I mean, the vaccine is going to be a huge relief, but it's 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 we're not you know we're not going to be out of the we're clearly not out of the woods. The vaccine's out there. It still takes a very long time to vaccinate everybody. Um, I do think we could have been better off in this country, my own personal opinion, if, um, you know, if people were encouraged to listen to experts who who were, were giving the right advice, but were just being drowned out or really kind of not, you know, no one, no one was, no one, no one that had the loud voice in the room w- was really all that willing to point over to them and say, hey, we need to listen to what these people are telling us. Yeah, you can blame Trump for that. We we can both agree on that. I mean, messaging, yes. Messaging is truly important, and it was completely, um, just completely missed, you know. I, uh, and, and sometimes you have to just, you have to look and wonder, you know, uh, what, wh- how are, I, I can't, because it goes beyond the economy. At times then it was like, well, you, you know, you can't let the economy, we got to protect the economy. The thing is, the, econ- the economy is not going to do well if our entire country is just falling sick all at once. Um, nope. and, and so to me, that's a completely false dichotomy. And so I, I don't know. I just, I, you know, you could, I, I haven't followed politics like crazy. There have been so many times in my life when I've listened to different things people say on one side of the aisle or the other. And, and frankly, I'll have to say, okay, you know, my, I, I think I agree with these people more, but I don't even, I don't really know. I mean, there's po- there's stuff here I don't fully know the the details of, you know. I, I can't read all these bills. Like I, I can't possibly give that informed of an opinion. I can only have an opinion. But with everything that I've known from what I've studied and 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 learned and really dedicated much of my time to trying to comprehend over the last decade, I mean, there are things being said on that podium that were said over this past year that I, I, I just, the only thing I can think of is they want more death. They want more illness. And it's, it's just been terrifying to watch, you know, and it's because I can't, I really can't square that circle any other way. I mean, especially when you know how a virus works and science is going to win, the virus is going to win if we're not protecting ourselves. You can't just hope for the best with public spread. Yeah, there's a great, I mean, there, who is it? Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson has the great, I think, I think it's his quote, unless he's attributed to somebody else. I mean, there's a very good chance other people have made it too. But, you know, the great thing about science is it's, it's true whether you believe in it or not. And I think that, and I think <laughs> yep. that's, you know, that's, that's what we're seeing. But, you, you know, true, true to one person does not necessarily mean true to, you know, it's, uh, you, some communities haven't seen the, I mean, I think at this point now the country, it should be apparent, but you know, it's easy to understand looking back on what was happening in March and April, why some places in the country would look at it and go, oh, this is, I don't, you know, I don't believe any of this. None of this is affecting me. Look at all these people in New York. That's really happening. I don't know my way of life. Well, all I know is I'm not allowed to go to work or I was just laid off or I can't go eat at the, you know? And so you, you, you know, it, you do kind of have to, be able to put yourself into people's shoes all over the country and in all sorts of different mindsets. Um, but, but that's a, that's a, that's something we can do, you know, like good leadership 
should have the ability to have that kind of empathy and figure out a game plan and figure out how to effectively communicate, communicate with like all groups in this country, all States, regardless of where you live or what you believe and help people just be informed to make the decisions that will keep them and their loved ones safe. You know, we, we sit here, we pride ourselves on people having their, uh, their freedom to, to do whatever they want. And, 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 and that's great, but we can't deprive them of the information they need to make informed decisions. And and I think to me that the really sad thing has been that sort of like encouraging everyone to do whatever they want and at the same time not doing anything to give them the information they would need or or he actively read. withholding that information in some cases, you know, which is even worse. Yeah. Or pretending it's a hoax because you're worried about your portfolio. The whole thing's an absolute mess. So for my for my listeners, have you studied the coronavirus at all? Uh, me? No. Like, personally, I have not. Um, but you know it. I am. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know a decent amount about it uh, ba- based on, you know, some some actual readings. Since I've sometimes I've had some time to, to, to read you know, certain actual scientific literature on it and papers. And some of those are peer reviewed and some of those haven't been peer reviewed yet. Um, I mean, but a a lot about what I know about is also what I hear, you know, through news sources, reputable ones, but you know, um, what, what's being reported here and there. One thing though, that I've, I've definitely sort of been able to um, appreciate over this last year is sort of the ability to just know what to do with that information when I read it. Um, You know, I think a lot of, Immunology is a, immunology is a pretty, it's a pretty bizarre field. Um, it's, I, you could, I almost like to think about it as like, a, I don't, did you ever, this was something like I did as a kid. I don't know if you ever did this and I'm sure it's going out of style. So anyone younger than me is not gonna, probably not gonna remember this, but it's like a popular thing at birthday parties maybe, or somewhere where you'd go where there would just be a large kind of tarp to play with for whatever reason and kids would all hold on <laughs> yeah. to the edge of the tarp and somebody would throw a bunch of balls sports balls or whatever you know some some type of foam balls onto it and everybody would kind of flip up and down and you'd, you'd watch the balls bouncing all over the place right and the sort of it's like parachute yeah exactly class. exactly it was a parachute right it's a, it's a tarp but you're right it was it was basically a parachute yeah um and you know in that moment you realize how you have some control over this thing, but everything's sort of dependent on everything else. And it's, you know, if you really wanted to try to model how each person, you know, like understand mathematically the movement of each child's hand and then where the ball is and all the physical problem, you know, it'd be a very crazy thing to try to understand all the factors that go into that. Um, so sometimes I, I often like to think about the immune system as this, like the same kind of like wavy blanket kind of thing. Um, there are a lot of components of it that all behave in slightly different ways from person to person because they're just so dependent on environmental cues and and the genetics as well you know specific alleles that of of relevant genes that each person has um and it's it's a it's a it's such a powerful system it has the ability to like really kind of like move quickly or, or massively in one area or another um there are places where there are a bunch of positive feedback loops and negative feedback loops. And it's a really intricate game of all of these things kind of trying to, trying to coordinate the immune response. And so I think as, as somebody who studies immunology, you begin to think in those terms, you begin to 
see how well okay if you you know if you were to adjust something over here how is that going to affect what happens over there in fact one of the early ways that people really began to learn about the immune system was by 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 studying mice who were bred in such a fashion that they they wouldn't have a certain gene there's this one little piece of the immune system they were just missing and those were called knockout mice and that that gene was just knocked out and so you could compare the knockout mice to healthy, regular, what we call wild-type mice. And you could say maybe, okay, well, these all seem to look the same, behave the same, and all, of, all of these things. And to some viruses, they even get just as sick as one another. But man, if we put this one type of virus in, maybe it's a maybe it's an RNA virus, like, like coronavirus or influenza, as opposed to a DNA virus, something more like um, papillomaviruses or something along those lines, um, maybe it responds very differently in that one category. So now you're like, okay, so whatever that gene was must have something to do with this. And so you can begin to track things down that way, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's sort of like, um, it's so complicated sometimes where you, where you trace, where you track everything down, do you end up discovering all these things you didn't even know about? You end up implicating proteins in, in one area that were never implicated there before, you know, you didn't, you never really thought about them in that context. And so um, I've, I've sort of begun to appreciate my ability to, to, to sort of just take in what I hear, even on the news, and, and just think about the ramifications of that and what it means. And um, yeah, I, I wish everybody, I, I really, truly, I, I can't tell you how grateful I am to have had that education. Um, I, I, I see people doing things every day throughout the pandemic that I just think, man, I wish this person had, you know, could, could understand what what the implications of what they're doing is or are um yeah yeah i couldn't agree with that more and i don't have a science background and i drive around where i live in ann arbor and still see stuff with people without their masks and everything else and it's heart-wrenching to say the least with i mean we're going to have close to a half a million people that have passed in the next couple months and it doesn't seem like most americans care that that is the the part that's been the toughest it's just so difficult to to live in a country where you realize that that like that you just you you don't want to accept like it can't be that way right like our country can't be okay with just you know half a million unnecessary deaths right yeah you would you think, would think. That, i mean you would think you start to realize why everyone in the world calls americans stupid americans <laughs> you know like, when i went to europe People are like, oh, the stupid Americans. You're like, what? You think we're stupid? And then you see something like this and you're like, they must be Yeah, great. although I don't know. I, I still feel like there are a lot of places in the world where the whole like, oh, America's the greatest country in the world, you know, which is, it's, I think the other thing is certainly my generation, you know, there was, there was a, a very healthy dose of patriotism that was almost, um, you know, really getting to the point of, of being a little bit, you know, just a, a little bit too in your face to the rest of the world, I think in terms of you know Amer what america is like like 911 i i just think you know like what do you mean that being kind of a result of where we had been for the last uh, half of the 20th century yeah yeah, yeah there, there was you know I, I don't know i think it's you know the united states is a really phenomenal place for for so 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 many reasons but uh, you know yeah i wonder if we really blinded ourselves a little bit think we're just we're just spoiled, rotten kids, a lot of people. They're just spoiled. They don't realize, you know, how hard life is, and they feel entitled, and they can't be selfless, which is just unbelievable to me. Yeah, well, you know, the 
the reality too is that so much of it it seems so much of america seems to hinge upon the idea that you can you can get to the top and you know the more it becomes obvious that it's that most people aren't going to ever get to the top and that 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 promise of something greater you know at the end it starts fading away you know I, I, things may have to change here I, I, I mean, look, I love capitalism. Like, I, I do think capitalism can do some really wonder. Like, I, you, you can't, you can't accomplish certain things without it in a way. Well, you know, and a lot of people would call me out and say, "No, that's not right." What are you talking about? And to be fair, I don't know what a private. I've never studied. I'm not. I'm not a scholar of, of of economics at all. But I can see a place for capitalism. But I just, I just think you've got to. It's, it's, it's so. If it's so powerful. That it can create, you know, give one person, you know, a massively significant amount of the entire world's wealth. That's a little bit too powerful not to harness it a little bit, you know. Just, just, just because you can, you know, have the the most powerful whatever you want on the on the planet doesn't mean <clears throat> doesn't make sense to try to rein it in a little bit and 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 actually get something more sustainable from it. Yeah, I agree with everything you said about capitalism. I mean, the underlying factor with capitalism and everything is just human greed. And when you sadly bring greed into politics, business, church, you name it, it starts falling apart because it's standing for the wrong reasons. And I mean, greed is absolutely the downfall of capitalism. It's probably the downfall of us not being prepared for coronavirus. Yeah. Oh, it, it absolutely is. I mean, that's, that's the, right, like what, what good is, what good is all your, and it's, it all gets down to, you know, some people arguing that, you know, well, a free market economy, you know, it's, it'll, it'll, it'll work. All the problems will work themselves out. You know, well, if a company is selling an unsafe product, that, that company is not going to stick around much longer. Well, what if their products only you only realize it's unsafe on your you know, as, as, as you're aging 60 70 years old and you've been using the product for decades and decades and decades it's not a fast enough feedback loop to take down a company meanwhile they're just poisoning people who aren't going to know about it until 50 years later so there have to be some other things in place besides just now oh, the free market will work itself out and and to me that's been another you know i'm just i i I can't believe, you know, that we we don't care more about the quality of our soil, about our water, about our air. You know, these are very fundamental. I mean, these are like the elements, right? I don't maybe not so. No, earth. Yeah, yeah. earth, water, air. It's some of those fundamental things required for human life. Um, and and you know, for the most part, all, all, many 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 forms of life. Obviously, plenty can survive without necessarily soil for, but you know what i mean i mean these are really truly fundamental yeah. core pieces of the world that that life lives off of and the fact that we just seem to be okay with um completely spoiling some of them to make it to make slightly more money that's the crazy thing too it's like it's not like it's that big it's like something's impossible or possible unless we pollute a little bit you know, it's like, well, you know, we want to, we just want to pollute a little bit more because then we can make a little bit more money. I don't know. I just, to me, it's like, what, what kind of country are we, if, you know, getting back to this, that we're, we don't care about half a million people dying. And at the same time, we don't care about polluting our water and polluting our air. And, and like, what kind of place are we even going to have here? You know, like what, 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 what is our country going to look like if we continue on like this? It's going to look like a barren wasteland with no humans left. I mean, obviously, if, as soon as the water is gone, we're gone. I mean, I live in Michigan, and what per, like, what is it, 
15% of all the fresh drinking water on earth is in Michigan and Flint doesn't even have clean water yeah, yet. Right. I mean, and this is the United States of America. I mean, we spend trillions on our military and Flint doesn't have clean water. I mean, it should be pretty obvious, I guess, when this coronavirus started, we weren't going to take care of people when people in Flint don't even have clean drinking water. I mean, there's one thing this virus has taught me is every man for themselves and you need to do everything you can to take care of yourself and your family and no one's going to help. Yeah, so that's where it gets really interesting in a pandemic, though, is because it's a lot more difficult to go by the every man for himself kind of at it. You know, you, everybody, everything that you do affects uh, affects somebody else and everything somebody else does affects you. And so with all the and anything in terms of your behavior, your activity, you know, nothing, nothing is, well, I shouldn't say nothing, but most, most things is like, okay, if I'm, am I going to go do, um, pick up dinner? I'm going to walk into a restaurant to pick up the bag and walk out. Am I going to go to the grocery store? Am I going to socially distance, hang out with some friends in the backyard? All of these questions, you know, there's, there's never really always a, such an obvious yes or no, right or wrong answer. Um, there's just some risk or lack of risk. And it's a, it's a relative amount of risk to lack of risk. And then is that worth it? Um, you know, so, so if you want to throw percentages on there, you could say that for every activity you do, you know, there might be somewhere between a one, like a 10% chance to a hundred percent chance, for example, of contracting coronavirus. But that entire field of decision-making then is, it goes up or down based on, the community spread and how many cases are in your area and then what the likelihood is that anybody you're going to be interacting with has the case. So as people around you make bad decisions and that case number goes up, you lose some control in your decision making because now those decisions are, are, are weighed very differently because of the decisions that other people make. And, you know, that's why the, you, you look and, you know, and really the, the best you could do is, is, is sometimes just, you know, share your opinion, try to explain this to people, but otherwise sit back and, you know, watch these record numbers of, of people going traveling and, and knowing that that's all of that traveling is going to affect a whole bunch of other people around them. And, you know, I want to say, no, people shouldn't be allowed to travel, but I do think it's important that everybody understands all of the implications, all of the risks, all of the actions they should be taking, and really think about how worth it it is, not only to them and whoever they're visiting to take that trip, but also whether it's worth it to, to you know, put that burden of cost on the society around them. And that's, I, I just think Americans don't think that way. We don't think about our actions and then this additional burden it's going to impose just on these other people you've never even met, but who might live a couple doors down from you. Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, I amen to that. So tell me, have you looked into these uh, variant strain of the coronavirus? Uh, yeah, I think it's, a, they're now calling it like the, B, the B117. Yeah. Correct. And you probably study how viruses mutate. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like from day one, everyone thought that the coronavirus would mutate. It was just a matter of when. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, if you really want to get down to it technically, nobody ever doubted, nobody on the scientific community ever doubted that a, this virus would mutate, nor would they ever doubt when that would happen, because that is happening constantly in every infected individual. Um, you know, if you have one virus that infects a cell, that cell is going to end up cranking out 
far more, you know, it could be tens of millions of more viruses. I don't actually know what the number is for coronaviruses, but but the 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 input, you know, really all you need to get is a few viral particles sometimes or even one into a cell. And the number of progeny that you'd say that that virus kicks out at the end when it's done replicating and going through its whole cycle and packaging up all the virions, uh, it is a hum it's a humongous explosion in in terms of the quantity. And generally, there are just going to be some of those millions, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands or millions of virions that aren't the exact same genetic sequence as the one that went in. Um, there are just errors in, in genetic material replication. That's something that we face. Uh, we have a whole bunch of DNA repair mechanisms that try to make sure that that doesn't happen every time our cells divide. And, and we, keep our, we keep our genome stored in DNA, which is much more stable than RNA. And RNA is the material that makes up the coronavirus genome. So already you're talking about a sort of a storage material that's not as robust as what we use. Um, and then we have all these proofreading mechanisms and things in place and all that. But for microorganisms, it's a lot less relevant to do that um, because, you know, if you have, even if half of those virions that leave the cell are all screwed up and don't infect anything else, the other half probably will if they're still the wild type, you know, the, the same one. that Because you know the same one and that the same genome that infected the cell is going to su successfully do that again. Then you figure, okay, a whole bunch of mutations happen. A lot of them aren't going to work. Um, but when you have that variety, you also have the chance that one of them is going to work better. And so that actually often happens throughout even, you know, you, you start to get the mutations pretty much anytime there's an infection, you're, you're going to find some that are different. The question is, when, how long will it take you to get to one that is so obviously better that it becomes the dominant strain in that individual? And that once that individual sheds virus around others, it's able to infect other people uh, at a much you know, at a much more transmissible level. And we have seen that um, now with this with this British variant. Um, but I should also mention, we've seen that already before. Early on in the pandemic, there was a glycine to, uh, sorry, it was an aspartic acid to glycine, I believe, D, DG mutation. I, I could be wrong. It might have been the other way around. Um, but that arose in Italy early on. And this is one of the reasons why the spike in Italy was just up so much apparently greater than what we saw sort of simultaneously happening in some of these other countries in Southeast Asia. So if you recall, I mean, the, the, the virus was hitting South Korea, Taiwan, and of course, those countries were on top of their lockdown. I mean, they really were, were with it. A lot of the people there wear masks as part of the culture, mostly because they, they you know, I think SARS is still probably recently sort of ingrained in everyone's memories, but um, but also it's just, you know, I think infectious disease in general um, has, you know, that, that culture, cultures that have really taken towards the, well, just, you know, if you're feeling sick, protect others around you, when, especially when you're out in these dense places. Um, but all of a sudden in Italy, this, this, this mutant was, this virus was, was um, really moving much faster and people assumed it was just the Italian way of life. And there's probably some truth to that. There's a lot more hugging. There's a lot more gathering. There were big soccer games. There were all these opportunities for super spreader events. But at the same time, uh, it does appear that a, a variant had emerged there. And that be easy, quickly became the dominant variant in the United States. 
Um, I believe, I could be mistaken, but I believe that that variant is what we saw uh, certainly in Boston and New York that led to these quick surges on the East Coast. Even though the virus had originally been in the United States for several weeks longer, at least according to the news that had been reported at the time, not going back and looking historically, but you know, as as was contemporaneously reported in in January, you know that there were cases going on in Seattle for weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks that seemed to be moving a little bit more slowly than what all of a sudden happened in New York, Boston, etc. <clears throat> and so, we've already been dealing with a more contagious strain here in the United States before this Britain thing even popped up on the map. And so now we're talking about something that's uh, I, the, the last numbers I saw were 10, 10, maybe not 10 to 100 times more contagious, but each infected person sheds about 10 to 100 times more virus. Um, and then so then, you know, that that is, is likely what people think explains the very significant um, increase in transmissibility. But there's more to it than that. Um, I'm sure there are. The structural differences explain a lot of different dynamics of the virus actually in the body. We do know that it, it seems to infect um, younger children a lot more easily than, than the other variant we've been dealing with. So there's probably something there, too, that goes beyond just viral load would be my guess. But I would I, you know, I worry a little bit because we've really gotten used to thinking, OK, well, hey, you know, we can we, you know, obviously live music, things like that, you know, big parties still pretty heartbreaking that we're not doing that but you look and figure okay well at least we can get some kids in school when it's safe we get we get offices kind of open again at lower capacity but businesses can function people can go to the grocery store we can have public transportation um you know in cities that need it and so there are a number of these things that we've really like worked out over the last half a year and i just fear that a you know a much more contagious variant is going to make these types of activities that had been fairly innocuous, like like going to the grocery store for a short amount of time or just running into a store for a short amount of time, are going to make those a lot more dangerous potentially. And I think things that were already borderline, like, you know, um, indoor dining at restaurants, you know, I, I, I hate to say anything here that's just going to get people mad at me that own a restaurant and think, well, who are you to say, you know, but, but I certainly think it is worth it will be worth thinking about moving forward, like how we may need to adjust some of these behaviors. You know, look, there's actually been um, some debate over whether or not the California surge and the Southern, especially the Southern California, the LA County surge that we've seen November and December this last year, like was that due to this UK variant? Because that looked very different than the rest of the country. Like that did seem to explode there case-wise way faster than we've seen. And I've seen conflicting reports. Basically, I've seen a couple of variants. Um, there's a, a geneticist, a vi really a, a viral genetics specialist um, expert for sure at the University of Washington, Seattle, named Trevor Bedford. And he does some really great um, Twitter posts with, with his thoughts, kind of tracking. Um, I think he actually runs a web. I think his website's called Next Strain. And it was originally to track influenza strains and mutations and how these were going to change the behavior of the virus. And we quickly started working on tracking all of the uh, COVID sequencing data. Um, so last I saw from him, he was pretty convinced that California's, like the LA surge was not caused by this particular variant. But I should mention that we don't really sequence that much in the United States. So we, we haven't really had the ability to track the different unique strains of the viruses as much as we frankly should, certainly in retrospect. Now, whether it was that 
um, particular variant or not that that caused that California surge. I think an important thing to remember is it's it's entirely just as likely that it wasn't the California strain and that the same or the, sorry that it wasn't the UK strain, but that there's a California strain. There's something else that evolved that is more transmissible that just arose the same way that the the strain in the UK did. Um, so we can't rule that out either. I mean, even if you even if we thought okay. This, this UK variant is, is, is gone for good, um, or it never got in the U.S. and it's never going to, which, I mean, that would, that would be a sort of a, a, uh, <laughs> a losing proposition from the beginning, I think. But uh, the, you know, the idea that something like it won't also just, or couldn't also arise here is, is um, you know, a little, a little kooky, because honestly, we have more cases here, we have more community spread, we have more like kind of festering viral and, and long term infections. And those are all the places where a virus is going to just kind of take the time to eventually try out new, very new mutations and things and see if some of them are any better. And one thing I just want to note is not that a virus obviously is thinking about these, this is just this is just a process that randomly happens, right? Um, mutation of DNA or RNA or genetic material is there that just happens at some fixed rate based on the organism based on exposure to light it happens in humans too that's actually how really organisms evolve in general i mean um when when you don't allow for any slight variation in a population of of, of a species you're not going to provide um any opportunity for some to do better than others under new selective pressure Sorry, that was wow. a very long answer. I realized, like, I'm, 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 no, that was <laughs> I'm giving you. Uh, this is going to be far too long of a podcast. Well, you can edit. You can edit no. whatever out that you want. We're not editing anything out. I mean, this is the whole point of we are in space is for me to get someone like yourself. I'm I'm sitting here in awe, like probably the listeners when they listen to this, because, I mean, all of it makes so much sense when it's coming out of your mouth and the news that I get in. I mean, the people that are reporting the news know absolutely nothing about science. Well, uh, what news are you? Maybe you're not watching the right news. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Um, there are some good. There are the, Science doesn't get you to tune in. Like, death gets you to tune in. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But, no, I feel know, yeah. The media is using their normal tools to get people to watch, but they rarely get very deep into the situation. I mean, I've been thinking about the mutations and the variant strains, but the way you said it is, I mean, it's going to happen regardless. It's so widespread. The more people that have it, the more of a chance of it mutating into something yeah, else. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's it's funny. There's something that was... It, influenza as we know it today is like why, in many ways, it's sort of endemic to the world the way we know it because of the 1918 event, you know, that that really introduced influenza in so many parts of the world, all in such huge numbers that, that you know, there was little we were going to be able to do at that point to, to keep these seasonal variants from just kind of still being, being robust enough to, to really take, take many, many lives year after year after year. And yeah, what we don't want is another one of those. Uh, through coronavirus where now you know it's not just influenza and people say oh well if it's if it's just as bad as influenza then that whatever it's just influenza but you don't want those to keep stacking up you know how many how many more influenzas are you going to accept that you want to add on to your dear you know to your to your annual sort of death threat 
You know, we've already got, it's already a dangerous enough world. Why wouldn't we do everything we possibly can to stop another one of these things with the, with naturally it's much more, you know, I, I don't know that influenza, I'm sure there are plenty of cases of long-term downstream effects from, from influenza. And there are from any virus infection and the wrong person. I know I say wrong person, but you know, in some number of people, a really serious viral infection will leave its mark one way or another. Uh, many, you know, some people, for many people who do develop autoimmunity, it's often triggered. It's sort of initial onset happens after a really bad, really bad viral insult. Um, uh, like, like mono, I can think of as a good example of that. Uh, mono, you know, some people that get mono, then, you know, never, never have quite the same this or that after it. Um, another one, um, Lyme disease is another great example of that. I mean, Lyme disease is interesting because the there's a term that 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 was controversial for years called chronic Lyme disease and chronic meaning it just lasted forever you know you you never really got over it and people would say well you you can't have chronic Lyme disease when the last time we detected any of the bacteria in you that causes Lyme disease which is I believe it's called Borrelia burgdorferi um, colloquially called spirochetes because um, they're these little spiral shaped bacteria they're really creepy looking um, but so, yeah, if somebody gets Lyme disease, you find these spirochetes present and there's a lot of inflammation and people's joints are painful and their immune system's going crazy trying to get rid of this thing. And then months go by and you still feel joint pain and you're sick and you're, you're really tired. You can't get out of bed. What is going on? And, and you say, I still have this Lyme disease. And they test you and they say, well, you don't have any of this. You don't have any of the bug in you. Like that bacteria is long gone. We have not seen any Ber Ber Borrelia burgdorferi DNA anywhere in your body for months. You do not have chronic Lyme disease. Yet the symptoms persist. And so, you know, this was, this was sort of a puzzle for, for a while and certainly a debate to like, how do you define the illness anymore? Is it just what's still in you causing it? Or, or is it possible that what caused it sort of made some permanent changes and restructuring and really changed the architecture of your immune response? And that can happen and that does happen and that shouldn't happen. You know, most people's immune, your immune system is designed to recover from these things, but you know, not everywhere recovers. You could, you could, you know, you, you can go and into a forest and, 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 and see it like after, after a really, really windy storm. And there are going to be trees that get damaged and many of those will eventually, you know, it'll be fine. The branches are going to regrow, but others are going to just lose to for whatever reason they don't recover. And, you know, that that's, you're going to see that all over life because again, you know, there's no uniform nature to life. It is just so, so different and so uh, dependent on just so many things that you're, you're bound to get sort of more obscure situations where, where things don't work quite the way they should. And unfortunately, sometimes that's your immune system not quite returning to normal ever. And it seems like that could be happening with a decent number of people getting coronavirus, which to me is a very serious concern that, you know, everybody should, should know about and be aware of because, that, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, well, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'll get better. You know, I just, I just turned to all those people and said, you probably will, but you don't know that. 
somebody actually, and, and even the death, you know, the, the whole thing about the death rate's only 0.5%. I, I wish I remembered who tweeted this because I'd love to credit them for it. And somebody said, I hear everybody telling me just to go on and live their lives the way they have been because, you know, coronavirus is, is, is harmless in 99.9, or sorry, 99.5% of people. And to those people, I would say, well, why don't you come back and talk to me when you're willing to fly on a plane, knowing that it's airline policy, that one out of the 200 people on that plane gets randomly chosen to get thrown off the plane mid-flight. And you're telling me any <laughs> airline that had that policy, like you're, you're just going to go willingly and buy it. I mean, how many times are you going to fly? Because you fly 10 times, you know, your odds, you know, your odds start decreasing here. Um, yeah, I, I just think, you know, as a scientist, like, I, you know, I said, I sort of, but I just think about things naturally. And I, I really wish there were, I really wish we had even the, even though it's, you don't have to understand all the details of what I've been explaining. I'm sure so many things I've said over the last, you know, few minutes here, I've just kind of like complete gook. although it has, it has been kind of nice seeing so many terms become household names. Uh, or like household terms, household terminology. Um, the fact that everybody is, I think, kind of understands what a vaccine is, is cool. Uh, the fact that people know what antibodies are is great. I think these are all, you know, the, first, first, the fact that Tony Fauci is such a celebrity household name, I never thought I'd see that in my life, but that's pretty cool because Tony... Did you know who Tony Fauci oh, was before absolutely. the pandemic? I, I did, I, and I knew that probably most other people didn't either. Um, no, I had, the, I had the pleasure of seeing him give an address at a med school commencement at Yale one year. It was interesting. The, probably the most memorable part of it was when he was explaining how when he first went into infectious disease as a specialty, everybody told him he was crazy. They got antibiotics now. We got, the, we got vaccines down, you know, like infectious diseases solved. And uh, he <laughs> sounded like he got he got sort of crap for really wanting to focus on infectious disease. And then, you know, of course, anybody in their right mind knows that infectious disease is not solved. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of you study enough virology and, 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 and immunology and just biology in general, you begin to understand that these things are really inevitable. It's just a matter of time. And then you, you think, well, what can we do to try to prepare ourselves better? Um, you know, that's, that's why I went into immunology. You know, I sat here thinking, look at how many people are piling up on this planet, you know, and we've already had really terrible, terrible pandemics and things before we're even close to this densely populated. These things are bound to happen again. They're probably going to be really bad. Didn't expect it to happen uh, necessarily quite this way. I thought it would be a little more mild and we've had a little, a little more time to adjust to it. I didn't, I didn't expect it to be thrust upon the world so rapidly. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of coronavirus experts that would have would have disagreed with me then and knew exactly what was coming. Um, but I guess to finish my point before, regardless of your ability to understand all the words and the terms and the specifics, I do wish that scientific education in this country was just a little bit better on a very fundamental level for people to really understand, like, you know, what, you know, just just how 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 to think like a scientist. Uh, at the very basic sense, how to take a look, you know, to just say, okay, there's all this information in front of me. How do I try to figure out what's true and what's not? So I think that's been the biggest problem. There's so much misinformation. People don't even really seem to care where they're getting any news from anymore. Um, you know, news is news has just become the equivalent of like what you heard, um, not necessarily where you heard it. Um, you know, news used to be where you heard it. It was you heard it on the news. 
And now, and now it's like news seems to be just what you read on Facebook or what you what you saw on someone's Twitter feed, um, you know. And I'm all for, I'm all for Twitter and, and 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 all that and Facebook. I think it's just you got to look at sources. You you have to understand what. And it's the same way in science. I mean, you can go on literature searches, find these papers, and you look at the abstract, and you're like whoa, this is crazy. And it's exactly the point I want to make. Maybe I should like see if this actually supports this claim I'm trying to make here. And um, you look at it and you realize, wait a second, I don't know if this is a very reputable journal. Um, and I'm looking at it and these, these experiments, just, I don't know, it seems like there are things that are controlled that are missing. Who reviewed this paper? Why didn't they point some of this out? I don't know about this. And so you know, even as a scientist, you have to be, you have to always be critical of the information that you're relying on. And I think that's unfortunately something I just haven't really seen reinforced in this country. No, you have not. <laughs> and it's pretty obvious if you check out some of the statistics. <laughs> I know. That's not, I'll just get too depressed thinking about it. Unbelievable. So how have you spent your time during the pandemic? Like what have what have you done as a scientist to still enjoy your life and like you and your wife stay safe? Yeah. How have you been? I'm sure you've we've been, been we've both ton. been working a ton. Um, certainly. And, and, um, yeah, like I said, um, I would point anyone that's interested to specifically what I'm working on to, to, to sort of what's on our site, um, at generate biomedicines.com. You know, we've, we've had time to get away from work a little bit. Um, we go on a lot of walks, we go on a lot of hikes, that's we've we'd, when it was nice during the summer we would go kayaking i think i'm all for kayaking like single person kayaks are such a great way to socially distance yourself completely outside uh on a lake you know you can be very far from everybody and still enjoy other people's company that you're kayaking with um you know trails if you go when they're too crowded can get a little hairy at times um but we've we've found enjoyment just kind of like walking around places just to be outside even if it's not necessarily a, a highly sought after particular trail um, cooking a lot, you know, we're, we're, we, we do occasionally get pick up food, but we try not to. Um, we, we try to just cook all of our food here as much as we can. Um, actually it's, it's nice too, because I think we're eating healthier, certainly um, making food here, which is probably true for a lot of Americans. Um, it's probably not such a bad thing that a lot of people have to, you know, we're forced to eat a lot more home cooked meals the last year. <laughs> So one of the reasons why I also wanted to bring you on, and I love talking science with you, but it's interesting having someone on who knows science as well as you, but also a, I mean, let's just face it, Ross, you're a celebrity. You are a famous rock drummer, and it's crazy to even think that because of the success of Tally Hall lately. I know a lot of the listeners who listen to my podcast are familiar with Tally Hall, but for those that aren't, it was a band from Ann Arbor that had very good success, was signed to Atlantic Records, then went independent, toured the country. But um, over the last three years has kind of become a, can I say, have a cult following? I think that's okay to say, right? I would say Tally Hall. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because I feel like cult following for whatever reason is a bit of a negative connotation, but it shouldn't. I think it it's only be. because cults have negative con connotations and they should. <laughs> But uh, I think, uh, but I think yeah. cult following is a little, you know, it, I, I, I've always interpreted at least that cult following sort of borrows the, borrows the term cult very playfully rather than seriously. Without a doubt. And it absolutely has a cult following. And especially over the last couple of years. I mean, I've watched like, 
five, six years ago, Tally Hall having like 90,000 streamers on their Spotify. And then I saw a post from New Year's. I mean, it's at like 1.3 million and you had 50 million streams in 2020. Like that is like, that's unbelievable. What do you attribute to this? success because i know it's not from the band promoting themselves yeah that, it's a good question um i mean i think tiktok definitely helped uh because it did seem like we had a couple well for i mean i should mention before we even really were taking off this past year you know we something was brewing there were videos used or there were songs used in youtube videos for various sort of fan videos and things there there was clearly some some group of people who were actively involved on the internet finding music discovering it using it for things and all that that were sort of slowly getting turned on to us little by little um certain platforms like like tiktok popped up and really helped that explode and and you know I, we, we we both watched it happen to abso facto the year before right um, yeah, that's actually absolutely. how I heard about TikTok. I noticed today that there were tweets out about Tally Hall re-releasing Marvin's. Yeah, funny. Um, yep. Not the, not the band sent them out, but the record label did? Yeah. Um, I don't know when the band will send them out, uh, but it will. Yeah, it said that pre-orders start in February, and they also said something about Good and Evil coming out in June. Um, I think I think there's speculation about the Good and Evil coming out in June, since that would be the 10-year anniversary of Good and Evil. Um, so you can't confirm or deny that. I mean, that's, at some point we'll mention something. I think uh, it, it's funny. Uh, yeah, well, um, yeah, I mean... You're on. <laughs> really on the spot. <laughs> no, I just don't, I don't even know if I want to get into why... Word got out today, and we we weren't on top of it because you know there was I, I think word word got things leak, you know um, things get yeah. leaky. So there was a leak. No, well, there was a leak, and their tweet had like six hundred likes. So a lot of people. Well, it was a likable so. leak. That's good. It was a likable like- leak. Um, was it an internal leak? No, not that I know of. I I don't know. I'm not I'm not even exactly sure um, how or who or what, but. Um, well, it definitely wasn't Zubin. It definitely, I'm sure, it wasn't Zubin. <laughs> <laughs> we can both bet on that. I do know that it's definitely making the fan base very excited hearing about the reissues of the albums, which will also get the wheels turning about future albums. I don't even care about talking about future albums at this time. But um, one thing that definitely fits into all of this, and I think it is some of the success, is uh, the crazy cult album of Hawaii Part 2. Miracle Musical. I think a lot of Tally Hall fans found out about Tally Hall because of the success of this of this album. Yeah, that actually was a um, that was a surprise to me to begin meeting people that you know. I guess right. I have to kind of reframe things because you know, from from for me and most people, my my contemporaries, my family, my friends, you know, people people that have been in my life for the last ten years or so. You know, they like Tally Hall was a thing. You know, they came to a bunch of Tally Hall concerts. They they heard me talking about Tally Hall 
far more than they ever wanted to. Uh, they heard me telling them to, to go watch this show tonight because of this or that, or hey, we're, you know, whatever. I mean, tell you, people, you know, we weren't a household name, but people in our circles were certainly aware of what was going on in the band. And then for Hawaii Part 2, that wasn't at all the case whatsoever because we didn't really ever do much other than record the thing and release it. And um, it, it's been odd the last couple of years meeting people who know Hawaii Part 2 but have never heard of Tally Hall, have no idea that the band that they, you know, they knew, oh, that, you know, that, oh, that Ross guy was in some band for a while, but then no connection to Miracle Musical whatsoever. Uh, my favorite was one friend who thought was absolutely a Japanese pop band, like didn't believe that it was made by a few American people and a handful of, of us <laughs> at all. Um and then others that, that are Tally Hall fans that say they discovered Tally Hall because of American music. I mean, oddly enough, like one, I think it was Dream Suite and C Major just had some, something happen on YouTube where it just kept getting recommended to people. I would check the comments every now and then and all the, you know, a very common refrain in the comment section was like, just randomly got taken here from YouTube. What is going on? You know, or like, wow, where am I? How did I get here? You know, it was a lot of this just sort of like, somehow you know i don't know if somebody at youtube was a big fan and directed all traffic there you know on a number of a number of autoplay or shuffle videos or god knows what but um you know i may and maybe it's actually not that any more traffic came to it than your average thing but there was just something striking enough about the song you know second after second that enough that you know people just ended up listening more than they would to your average song and, and that was enough i mean i think if you if you end up falling in love with dream suite and c major it's not hard to see how you'd really fall in love with the rest of the album since it's it's such a just kind of a refrain of the whole thing you know yeah or fall in love with tally hall i mean a lot of it is you can straight from the pen yeah oh by the way and we get we get miracle musical emails to the tally hall mailing address all the time and vice versa i mean there's clearly a lot of confusion over the fact that these are even two separate projects whatsoever um you know i mean bora has become a six month the lines have become very blurred between what miracle musical was and what tally hall was for better or for worse is is there any talks of hawaii part three hawaii part three quote unquote no no, is there uh, Matt, any there talks are, of Matt, there are, you know, people? you know, there are talks of all sorts of things happening at any given point in time, and just those things aren't, those things yeah. just aren't happening. Uh, they haven't happened yet. They're currently not happening. That doesn't mean the talks about those things, though. You know, yeah, true. Well, with the success of, I mean, I can understand why Tally Hall is not jumping into the studio with people cranking out babies of pandemic and everyone having full time jobs all the way across the country. But Miracle Musical seems like it'd be more possible in the short term to have another uh, album. To some extent. I mean, I, I personally would not be able to have the kind of, be able to make the same kind of contributions that I did the first time around. Um, I just don't have as much time. That's probably the re one of the reasons why. Well, I mean, done. I would certainly give my blessing for others to, to you know, continue on. Um, I guess at some point when Tally Hall has 10 million monthly listeners and Miracle Musical has 8 million and the bands are doing so well, maybe maybe it'll be more beneficial to everyone in the band and their career. Yeah, I mean, there's more to it than that. You know, for me, honestly, I would do it right now if I, if I felt like I was, you know, in a better spot that I really had a comp, like, 
you know, I, I joined a group of scientists at the company I'm at now, and it's been growing and uh, we're, we're progressing. We're doing some incredible things. It's great to be a part of. I believe in it, you know, like I really, I don't, I don't just do it because it pays well. Like I, you know, I, I, I firmly do believe that we are, we are going to help make the world a better place with, with what we're going to do. Maybe because we're private industry, we're going to charge too much money <laughs> at the end of the day. We're going to, I think we're, I really, I'm confident we're going to help make some things possible that aren't yet possible. And, and the, the, those things are going to be able to help people quite a bit. And, um, you know, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to throw in the towel on that and leave all my buddies that I've been working with on this right now. You know, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I, you think your science will save more people than Tally Hall? Oh, that uh, I don't know, man. That's a good question. I and it's a it, it's a it's, it's I know, and I feel I feel um yeah wow I I I just I I feel like just way, way way too pompous in that in that answer and how I'm feeling right now to try to weigh like oh what you know what I'm what am I working on that's gonna like impact humanity the best because both are gonna just have this you know do such great things for all these people and save so many lives no but I think first of all I I, I also believe that everybody can can save lives you know any. Anybody that wants to can have a positive impact on this world in a way that will make the world a better place in very tangible ways. It, it can go from, from, you know, making enough money like Bill Gates and saying, you know, I'm going to take a lot of this money and I'm going to get vaccines to other parts of the world that need them, that can't afford them. And I'm going to try to help a lot of people, you know, in a minor way. Or it could just be that you've got the one person in your life that you know needs needs some help right now, you know, and you don't know what's going to happen to them without somebody coming in and being there and, and stepping in to help them. And you can do that. So anybody has the power to, to make the world a better place. However, you know, however you, you want to do it. Yeah. I mean, the, the beautiful thing I suppose is that, you know, I, I don't, I don't think the tally hall music is going to, or the miracle musical music is going to stop helping people and improving their lives in some way, shape or form if I'm no longer actively participating in it. And uh, I, you know, I guess I could say that about my company too. They, they could easily find somebody to do what I do and, and continue on and make a positive impact without me. I think it's more that I just, I just, I want to see it through more, you know? True. And uh, True. yeah, no. Sally Hall never broke up. It's not like it's going anywhere. There's still plenty of time. Everyone. Yeah, is no, but we've, we've talked about this on the show before. I mean, you know, I've got, we, I, I hear directly from people who, who share with me and with us how, what our music has meant to them. And it's, it's, it's honestly, it's like incredibly touching and humbling every time. The, the, we, we also talked about this, but I think I got cut off. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this again here because it'll, it'll be here in perpetuity. Unless, of course, you edit it out, which you know, you're all right to do. But um, <laughs> I, I, I had, somebody, <laughs> had somebody email me and then they said, they said that our, our music helped them see something in life that they weren't able to see before. Um, and that, that really, that really had a profound impact in, in, you know, their, their life from, from that moment on, you know, I just, I just had this kind of feeling of not, not knowing why I went into 
all the music stuff, you know, it was fun. I mean, I joined a band because it was fun. I joined a band because I like these, these people I just met who all seemed pretty cool and it would be a good time. And I had friends who listened to the music and were encouraging me that, oh yeah, this is great. Are you kidding? And, and I love the music. I mean, I listened to, I, I listened to some of the demos they, they gave me to, before I, you know, to, to consider if I'd want to join just on loop in my dorm in Markley. Cause they were, they were just, yeah, I just couldn't get over them. So, you know, I joined the band for a lot of reasons, but, you know, it was in that moment that this person emailed me that I, I, I finally realized, you know, maybe the, the more significant, not so surface level part, because saying that our music helped them see something in life that's not already there, I just immediately thought, well, geez, that's, that's what I've been doing as a biologist for the last five years, you know, like that, that is biology. You know, you are learning, you are uncovering things about life that you couldn't see before, that we didn't know before because we, we couldn't see them before. And just like you, you know, you wouldn't know the effect that um, a particular gene in the immune system, you know, you, you don't know the role that that gene plays until you, until you uncover it by removing it from the equation and studying all the downstream consequences. And, and by that, you're now seeing something that you couldn't see in life previously. And, and so I had this really crazy moment of feeling like there was, um, you know, that it, even though I had picked these two very disparate seeming career paths that in the end of the, at the end of the day, in the broadest sense, they were, they were sort of the same goal, which is just sort of uncovering more about life for, and, 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 and hoping you're uncovering it for, for the better. Man, that is one of the most profound things I've ever heard, Ross. That's unbelievable. What what a thought right there. I, I'm almost speechless from it because you nailed it on the head. Well, yeah, and I guess even to go go into it more, I mean, you know, thinking about it, I know like we, we haven't really even gotten to it too much yet and despite all of this time that we've been talking, but I know you're like, well, I really, I really want to, you know, the, the whole science and music thing um, or science and art for that matter if we want to simplify it, you know, down. Well, first of all, you know, and, and there are a lot of there are a lot of accomplished scientists, musicians. Um, uh, I think of two great. The classic example is Brian May, uh, the the lead, the uh, the um, yeah the lead guitar in Queen um, was uh, has a PhD in um, astrophysics. It was like a published published astrophysicist. Uh, I think his name's Brian Holland. Is that I believe Brian Holland? I think that's his name. The the lead singer of The Offspring. Yeah. Oh yep, yeah, he has a he has a he has a microbi he's a he's a virologist. The guy the guy's got a microbiology PhD studying all sorts of microRNAs in, in the in the HIV genome, if I'm not mistaken, something along those lines. Um, you need to form a band with a super people. a super group of uh, first of all, trust me, if I could join a band with Brian Holland and Brian May tomorrow, sign me up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, man, I was such a huge offspring fan. Like, man, that first yeah, album. Um yeah yeah um really quirky band but you know not no knock to quirky bands right that's <laughs> they went to the same high school as rage against the machine in huntington beach Did california um but anyway yeah so getting back to the, the idea it's like oh a dichotomy of science and art but like they're you know and in science obviously is a much broader field than you know when i but when i really bring it down to biology i guess but bi biology and art because art is like art elicits something art is connected to just life 
right? I mean, it elicits emotions. Um, it, 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 it's not, art is not a very static thing. It's something that really like interacts with any given individual that's listening to it, that's looking at it, that's watching it. And so I think art and music in many ways help, it can help a lot of people like sort of understand life in a, in a way, you know, you maybe not like, Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm looking at this one piece and all of a sudden the meaning of life is, you know, on my mind and, you know, I'm thinking about it. Um, but you know, it, it does in subtle ways, right? I mean, every, you, you respond emotionally, hopefully to most of what you're listening to, if you're listening to, to some, some powerful music that, that is, you know, not just, not just whatever's kind of like going in one ear and out the other. And, and, you know, my, all of biology obviously is like just a, a connection with life that's more meticulous, you know, it's like, uh, you're just very carefully, you know, going through very methodically to try to pull some strings here and there and look at it and, 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 and sort of like, um, manipulate and play with life in a way that allows you to understand it better. Um, and music is and music or art is like, well, maybe you'll, maybe you'll get lucky and feel like you understand life a little bit better just through an emotional experience that you have. Um, so I, you know, I don't think they're, they're really all that different and, and music can become a science too, you know, especially the music that the stuff, the part of the, the music that I, I mean, first of all, drumming is math. Um, and then, you know, mixing is very much so a lot of trial and error in places. And there, there's a science behind mixing music too. And then in the lab, there's certainly an art to doing science. I mean, you can, you can learn that, you know, just from the books, every step to take and what the logical decisions here and there out and follow up questions and follow up experiments. But like, you know, any real successful scientist who's, who's, who's worth their way is going to bring some creativity to the table and bring a unique approach. And that's, you know, creativity is very important in science. You, you can't, it's not like you're just following a bunch of rules and moving on to the next thing. If, if it were that easy, we'd have robots doing all of it, you know? True, and hopefully um, one day we will. Just joking. <laughs> well, we're getting we're getting robots to do a lot of the tedious work more and more that you don't have to think about, yeah. which is which is good because you know those end up often being the repetitive tasks too that induce all sorts of uh, work related shoulder injuries and whatnot. So what you're telling me is you're going to start a band with the Boston Dynamics. Oh Cyber man, Dogs. The, the Boston Dynamics. You saw the dance video, right? Yeah, it just makes me feel like the future is. Do you re- do you remember the videos? Like I don't know if you ever. I don't know how long. So I've been following Boston Dynamics for a little bit, and they used to have these videos. I think it was called Big Dog. It was like the precursor to that little yellow robot, and it yep. it was quite a bit bigger. And, you know, it would like roam around and stuff, but it was gas powered. I don't know if there were like two stroke engines on the thing or it was so, it was so loud and obnoxious. And you're like, what the hell is this thing going to be good for? Like, you've got this weird robot and, you know, it's cool because people try to kick it over and it would catch its balance. But it was like, and it was really loud. And it's the same thing with the jetpacks, you know, that we had like that. If you were there for the Michigan game when they had the jetpack flyover. I have never experienced something louder than that in my life. And I, and I'm a rock drummer, you know, I've been to, you name what venue I've, I've I've stood everywhere there is to stand at the blind pig, including like, you know, literally, you know, right in between the, the, the the drivers on the ceiling and the, and the the subwoofers on the floor. And that jetpack was so loud. And I'm just like, what is the, wasn't this supposed to be for reconnaissance and spying? Like, you're not going to sneak up on anybody in one of these things. (laughs) So, (laughs) 
I don't know. I kind of thought that same thing about the Boston uh, Dynamics robots at first, but they've really come a long way. And now they're that that little that little dog robot thing is like right out of a Black Mirror episode. It's it's really creepy. Yeah, a friend of mine actually, uh, who I was with recently, we were talking about, and he was, you know, these these are probably at this point really being developed primarily through defense funding and. I don't know. There's something a little interesting about these. What are what are probably going to become advanced weapons at some point in time? Just kind of cheering everybody up with a little robot dance. I don't even want to talk about Hawaii Part Two anymore. I think you covered it all, and I think Tally Hall, you've pretty much covered too. I think 2021 is going to be a very exciting year for Tally Hall with re-releasing the vinyls, and I really hope they're wildly successful in Rally the Hall, if you will. Is there T-shirts coming out you know, with us um, or any merch? TBD. I mean, I think I think there are there are different feelings within the group in terms of you know what's you know what 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 would seem a little bit too much like promotional material you know versus what is content and that that yeah I think that's a line that's different for everybody and sort of changes how we feel. But my my feeling personally on it is that you know we have a lot of content we've already made and that content you know, is clearly still desired. And I think as long as the desire is there, I don't see any reason why we should keep that content uh, from, from listeners or, or wearers for that matter. Um, you know, because, because it's going to just, it'll, it'll get made otherwise and it'll get made, you know, and uh, you know, I, I don't even think it's not like people say like, Oh, well look at all these, look at all these t-shirts getting made. You know, you guys could be making all the money on these shirts. You should be selling shirts. It's not even so much about the money as much as it is like I just I I just I see our logo like butchered on some of these things where it's like not the right font you know it's close but it's not quite or you know just the dimensions are wrong and I'm just thinking like well God we could just we just if we just offered one at least it would be accurate and I think that for a big part of the vinyl for me is that it, you know and then you know we won't. Um, have to see people spending such exorbitant amounts of money on records in order to to own the the physical copy by by just allowing you know by releasing. I mean, clearly there's a demand. I've I've seen these sales they've gone for. And do. So what else? I mean, I this has been a very long thing. I don't, I don't know how much your your listeners are. Going. Well, you know what? If I'm the first guest, though, that's a new. You know, they haven't they haven't heard a guest yet on the show, right? No, you're the first. And honestly, I want to continue to bring you on in the future to talk about science issues and probably have you on with other guests when we're talking science. Sure. Also. I mean, as long as I can find the time, I am always happy to. And this has been a lot of fun. I miss I miss being able to come on your radio show. I miss yeah, it too, and so I highly encourage you. Like I love I love listening to all your to all your segments with everybody. So I would look forward to many more of these with all sorts of other others to to enjoy as well. Well, I'll tell you what, of all of them, you will be the smart. No, come on. I don't know. Not what probably. is smart anyway, you know? Yeah, that's true. Well, but based, based on where, well, where I'm living these days anyway, I'd have to be the smartest. You'd have to be the <laughs> smartest. Well, I had, I had some stock questions for you, but I don't even know if we should even get to them now. So I'm going to ask okay. to you quick, see how you can answer these yes or no. You can go into okay. more detail, but part of the segment is called. Okay. Believe? Uh, do you believe in Bigfoot? No. Well, well, I, be I believe be that there could have been like a giant Kodiak bear that somebody drunkenly thought was like a, a more of a humanoid. But like, do I really believe in like Bigfoot the way it's depicted? No. 
Do you believe in ghosts? Uh, again, like, no, not the way that they're most often depicted. Do you believe that Bigfoot could be a ghost? Mm, I doubt it. Doubtful. Doubtful on that. I mean, Bigfoot, you gotta go, go, go big or go home, no pun intended. I don't, I don't think you can, you can't have a ghost version of Bigfoot that's just combining too many, too many of these things. Do you believe in UFOs? Oh, yeah. 100%. But I should point out that, like, in saying I believe in UFOs, I do believe that people have, I, you know, seen flying things that were that were never identified do you believe that there's intelligent life out there on other planets besides i think humans i think with more advanced technology that can yeah okay so i do us? think other forms of life highly highly likely um i don't know about whether i actually think any ufos that we've seen are due to other intelligent life i think that that one i'm unsure about okay um do you believe that Dave Matthews band is actually good? I did. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> do, you do you believe that Weird Al Yankovic should be in the Rock and He's Roll not? Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah. So, no. yeah, come on. Yeah. He has he to has be. He has to be. Yeah. He has to be. That's all I have for Okay, I like it. Stick with those. Um, I'll be curious to hear what other people come up with. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on We Are In Space, and um, I guess keep up your mission of keeping this world a better place. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I think anybody can, you know, I'm not doing, any, I'm not doing anything special, I guess is, is the point to make, right? Like, um, so I just want I, want, I want people to feel like, I want everybody to know that, you know, you really like everyone can make decisions every day to make to make the world a better place, and it, it's just you've you've got to decide to do so, however you feel like doing it. That is the truth. Thank you. Yeah, for thanks on, for having Ross. me, man. This has been fun. I uh, I really look forward to when we can do this kind of thing again in person um, and uh, and hang out. But uh, this has been great. So thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. We are in space with Ross Fetterman. We are in space. We are in space. We are in space.